in, in looking at Irenaeus of Lyon, uh, I, I uh, got intrigued a little bit about pronunciation of the name and, and uh, wasn't going to say anything until yesterday we were at Publix and I saw a pickup truck with a tag on the front that said the truck was purchased at L-Y-O-N-S Ford of Lewisburg, Tennessee. And I thought, you know, I bet that's not Lyon Ford. Uh, but um, <laughs> if you look up at these icons that I've cut and pasted, this one's L-Y-O-N, this one's L-Y-O-N-S, this one's L-Y-O-N, and turns out L-Y-O-N-S is the British spelling of the French city. It's either second or third largest city in France, uh, Lyon. And L-Y-O-N is the French spelling, but we all pronounce it Lyon, except I would guess it's Lyons Ford in Lewisburg. And, and in fact, that goes back to an, an old British pronunciation of of the, the Brits at various times really disliking the French. So intending not to pronounce it Lyon, they, they pronounced it Lyons. But in, anyhow, that doesn't have anything to do with our lesson. So Irenaeus, or as Jerry says, Irenaeus. Irenaeus. But, but, and some pronounce it Irenaeus. Yeah. Anyhow, this gentleman, uh, fully in the second century, was born, we think, around 130, um, grew up in Smyrna. And, and if you've been in this class for a few weeks, you remember Smyrna, which is a city in present-day Turkey, was the home of Polycarp. And we looked at the martyrdom of Polycarp. We looked at a letter written by Polycarp. Um, so <coughs> Irenaeus grew up there, was taught by Polycarp, grew up, you know, so to speak, at his feet. Um, Polycarp was martyred, and if I remember correctly, 150s or so. So, so um, Irenaeus would have been mid-20s or so when his teacher um, was, was killed. At some point, he immigrated to Gaul. Gaul is present-day France, so it was quite a distance, and uh, I think I stuck a map in. Okay, so Smyrna's over here, close to Ephesus on the coast of Turkey. Lyon is right on the Rhone River uh, in, a, in this section of Gaul. There's some mention, it, it doesn't show on here, but the Rhone River comes from up in Switzerland, goes through Lake Geneva, and then down to the Mediterranean. The headwaters of the Rhine are also fairly close by. So uh, Lyon was a, was a major city at the time, one of the major Roman cities, and had a lot of influence in, in, that, in that area. Uh, he was there in, in Lyon. Uh, the 
Bishop of Lyon, Pothinus, uh, was martyred in about 177. There was a very severe persecution in Lyon. As I think we've mentioned a couple of times, Jerry's mentioned, these persecutions tended to be very local and, and uh, at times rather than throughout the Roman Empire. And in the, in the one, late 170s in Lyon, it was, it was very severe. He was killed. Things settled down and uh, Irenaeus became Bishop of Lyon sometime after it kind of quieted down, maybe 178, 179-ish, and lived until 200. Most of his writings, we think, were in the 180s and 190s. So he um, was a, a influential apologist of the late second century. Um, Eusebius tells an interesting story, and I just stuck it on this slide, uh, that uh, I think gives us a bit more of a picture of how influential bishops were in various cities with respect to other cities. And, and uh, as I said previously, it depends what colored glasses you look at it from. There are people who look back and see, oh, you know, even very early, the Bishop of Rome was influential throughout the world. And there's other people who look at it and say, well, there was a lot of independence. The Bishop of Rome had some authority within Rome, but the Bishop of Lyon had similar authority in that city. Um, there was a big controversy over the date for Easter. And, and as we all know in, our, in the 20th century, 21st century, Easter varies a lot as to, as to when it occurs, depending on the lunar calendar. Um, Victor, who was the Bishop of Rome, decided he wanted Easter celebrated on the date and in the manner that he wanted it. The churches in Asia Minor, so to the east, uh, had a different opinion. They, they actually celebrated Easter on a set date. So sometimes it was a Sunday, sometimes it was a, one of the other days of the week. Um, and Victor got upset enough that he wanted to excommunicate the churches in Asia Minor because of their calendar. And uh, Irenaeus disagreed with that, wrote a letter that we don't have a copy of the letter, but we have Eusebius's recounting of that. Uh, a letter to, to Victor on behalf, remember, Irenaeus grew up in Smyrna, so this was his home church, so to speak, uh, in that area, and um, sharply disagreed and said, you know, this is not a fight that needs to go on. This is, this is not something that needs to be excommunicating people for. Um, and, and it turns out later that Victor backed down and uh, it, it quieted a bit. Um, Irenaeus wrote in Greek. In fact, we think Eusebius had Greek copies of his writings that he referred to. Uh, 
we don't have any complete copies of, of the original Greeks. Fortunately, his writings were uh, thought well enough of. They were almost immediately translated into other languages, particularly into Latin. So there are very complete copies of uh, the Latin translations. The, the two writings for which he is best known are this demonstration of the apostolic preaching, uh, which we really won't talk about, but the other, the very large five-volume work called Against Heresies is the one we're going to look at some, some excerpts from, if I can keep talking quickly enough so that we can get to it. Um, a connection to Otter Creek, and, and I, I put this up on the screen earlier this morning to see, and there's no chance of you even reading it. I don't, I mean, maybe Fred can read it a little bit. Some of you may know this journal uh, that, that was started primarily by some professors at Abilene and some other graduate students that were around the country. This is from volume 10 in 1967. So it, the journal started in 1957. Uh, and the first article, page one, is by John McRae. And this was during the period when he was a professor at Lipscomb. And I was trying to figure out my wife, Jackie, actually had him for freshman Bible, and it may have been this same year in in yeah, he was preaching 60, here at that time. So, and that, well, that was the question I was going to ask, is if I knew he preached here at some time, so anyhow, so this is the, the connection, but since I can't read the screen either, let me read this paragraph or so here. Um, <laughs> With Irenaeus, the church reaches a new plateau in its history. Between the work of the early apologists and Irenaeus, something of significant proportions has happened in the church. Her conflict turns from without to within. The various Gnostic forms of thought that had been long at work in the church have reached a climax in the systematic writings of Valentinus and pose a definite threat to the church universal. The church is not without its defenders of the faith, however, and Irenaeus, Tertullian, and others rise to meet the challenge of heresy. Unlike those who have gone before, <coughs> Irenaeus must argue on the basis of scripture itself since his opponents are neither pagan nor Jew and accept the scripture as authoritatively as he does. The danger now is that the scripture is being perverted. Harvey, who he, one of these footnotes from him, Harvey correctly observes that Valentinus is nowhere accused of having altered the text of scripture as Marcion did, but of having perverted its meaning. It is with the question of the right interpretation of scripture 
that Irenaeus is fundamentally concerned. So we are probably about a hundred or a little less than a hundred years after the completion of the writings of the 27 books that, that we recognize as the New Testament. And already in the case of this apologist, that's the basis of his teaching, his, his referring to scripture. And in, I think I put it, oh yeah, in, in the writings of Irenaeus, we find quotations and references to at least 24 and maybe 25 out of the 27 books. So uh, he doesn't reference Philemon, he doesn't reference 3rd John, which in most of our New Testaments, each of those are one page. Um, and, and perhaps references the book of Jude, perhaps not. Just interesting. One of the things that, that I wanted to us to look at, refer to a bit, something as of what, a couple of years ago, for me at least, was new, and that is this statement called the rule of faith. And, and I don't know, you can give me a blank stare if, if you've not been familiar with that as well. Uh, Irenaeus tended to call it the, the rule of truth whether the rule of faith, the, the Greek word for rule is canon, K-A-N-O-N, I think, so canon, so it, it's the canon of truth, uh, and this was a, was a summary, and, and we'll, we'll look a little bit as we keep going here into the text. Um, it's not a standard that you compare truth to to see if it is true, but truth itself, in the sense that, that we see the scriptures as truth, was the standard. The standard that he used to fight particularly the heresy of, of Gnosticism. And we talked about Gnosticism a couple or three weeks ago in a little bit of detail. And as you'll see in his writings, the, the big themes will come back, will we'll keep coming up. Um, one of the people that I was reading uh, gave this summary of, of Irenaeus. The three big points that he made was uh, a universal church whose leaders drew authority from teaching the same doctrines as the apostles. And that's where this rule of truth comes up as a, as a summary as well. Um, and here I'm sort of following John McRae's lead using the word universal. The other word that means universal that you will see is Catholic. Catholic. Yeah. So it, it just, 
for most of our backgrounds, I would say it's more comfortable to say a universal church rather than a Catholic church, or certainly to uh, put a capital C in front of it and say a, a, a Catholic church whose Bible is composed of two testaments written by prophets and apostles primarily. Uh, <coughs> and uh, I think Irenaeus was in fact the first person to use the, the term New Testament. For, for the scriptures written in the, in the first century. And a universal church whose Bible is interpreted in light of the apostolic preaching summarized in the early creeds. Instead of, this, was a, this is actually from somebody else's writing, instead of by fanciful narratives and cosmic mythology, which is kind of poking at Gnosticism a little bit. The, the rule of faith, if, if you read these excerpts that, that were in the passages that we uh, passed out, I think you'll see some similarities to things like the Apostles' Creed, uh, it, it was used as a summary to teach new converts, either just prior to baptism or immediately after baptism or, or both. Um, a little bit later in the, in the time of uh, Irenaeus and a little bit beyond that, it then became a way of, of refuting heresy of taking that summary of truth from scripture and, and using it to refute, refute heresy. Um, Bob, the poster is about to fall on you, so don't be surprised. Oh. It, it may not. It, it may be. <laughs> so let's spend the next 15 minutes or so looking at, at some of these um, selections and there most of these are in the book um, although the, the section in the book says selections from against heresies um, the longer title is the refutation and overthrow of the knowledge so falsely called. So knowledge, the Greek word gnosis. So this document was also called the refutation and overthrow of the gnosis so falsely called. So this knowledge that was not truly knowledge. Um, five volumes, a big, big undertaking, a big, a big document. So this is from book one, chapter 10. And I guess I could have said chapter 10, verse one, but these aren't verses the way we, I mean, this is, 
This is verse one here on the screen. So, um, in order to sort of guide our discussion, I've actually underlined what I think are the key points that Irenaeus is using in his statement. Now the church, although scattered over the whole civilized world to the end of the earth, received from the apostles and their disciples its faith in one God, the Father Almighty who made the heaven and the earth and the seas and all that is in them. So remember back to Gnosticism, he's saying the one God is the creator God. It's not two different entities. The Father Almighty who made the, the and in one Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was made flesh for our salvation, so speaks to the incarnation, and in the Holy Spirit, who through the prophets proclaimed the dispensation of God. So a, a very clear Trinitarian view. The comings, so the, the, the incarnation, the coming of Jesus, the birth of a virgin, the suffering, the resurrection from the dead, and the bodily, bodily reception into the heaven, heavens of the beloved Christ Jesus our Lord, and his coming from the heavens in the glory of the Father to restore all things and to raise up all flesh that is the whole human race so that every knee may bow. So a, a, a summary, Christ came in the flesh, incarnate, born of a virgin, suffering, a, a reference to death on the cross, the, was, was dead, was resurrected, ascended into heaven, and is coming again in judgment. So a, a very short but very complete summary. So let's see where I was around in here somewhere. And every time they can confess him and that he may execute righteous judgment, the spiritual powers of the wickedness and the angels who transgressed and fell into apostasy and the godless, wicked and lawless and blasphemers among men, he will send into the eternal fire. So the results of the judgment but to the righteous and holy and those who have kept his commandments and have remained in his love, some from the beginning of life and some since their repentance, he will by his grace give life incorrupt and will clothe them with eternal glory. Same, sec same chapter, verse two. Having received this preaching and faith, as I've said, the church, although scattered in the whole world, carefully preserves it. So he sees this, uh, I'll just call it the rule of faith, as, as something that was common to the entire church. 
the, the, the universal church and preserved by the church. So from, from the apostolic preaching of the first century and continuing. Uh, she believes these things alike as if she had but one heart and one soul and preaches them harmoniously, teaches them, and hands them down as if she had but one mouth. For the languages of the world are different, but the meaning of the Christian tradition is one and the same. Neither do the churches that have been established in Germany believe otherwise or hand down any other tradition. Remember, you know, he's in Lyon, that's in France, but as far as the Roman Empire goes, there's a, an easy connection, particularly through the Rhine River, up to what here is translated as Germany. Uh, nor those among, let's see, hand on any other tradition, nor those among <coughs> the Iberians, so the Iberian Peninsula, nor those among the Celts, nor in Egypt, nor in Libya, nor those established in the middle parts of the world, uh, that's the land of the hobbits, right? <laughs> <laughs> but as God's creature, the Son, is one and the same in the whole world, so also the preaching of the truth shines everywhere and illumines all men who wish to come to the knowledge of the truth. Neither will one of those who preside in the churches who is very powerful in speech say anything different from these things for no one is above his teacher nor will one who is weak in speech diminish the tradition for since the faith is one and the same. He who can say much about it does not add to it nor does who say little diminish it. So, I think Irenaeus is rather strong in saying there is one truth, there is one uh, belief, and it doesn't matter about the person who's preaching his skills, if they're a great orator, they're really not going to add to it. If they're a very poor speaker, they're not going to diminish it. The, the truth is, is the truth. Take a pause here to make sure anybody have any comments or questions or I love the analogy that he uses. You know, the sun crosses over, and, and he would know that being from Syria. You know, the sun crosses over all the lands, and all the lands are teaching the same. Um, so I think he's likely got a unique perspective in that way. Uh, do we do we know what caused him to, to to move from Smyrna to France? I mean, well, that's a huge geography. I, I do not know 
that, that we know anything specific. The, the thought is that he was interested in being a missionary, I think, and, and that, that uh, was kind of frontier. taught, and that was pretty far to the, I mean, it was not completely, you know, the Roman Empire was, was on the island of, of Great Britain. Um, Hadrian was in the early part of the second century, and what his troops were building their wall up in uh, Scotland. So the empire was certainly in Spain, it was in, that, but still Gaul was uh, a bit of being in the boonies uh, with respect to Asia Minor or Italy or Greece. Another selection that I that I pulled out, this is in book three. Um, many barbarian peoples who believe in Christ follow this rule. <coughs> Having the message of their salvation written in their hearts by the Spirit without paper and ink, diligently following the old tradition, they believe, and he begins to, this is a bit, shorter list than the previous one, but uh, they believe in one God, maker of heaven and earth and of all that is in them, through Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who on account of his abundant love for his creation, submitted to be born of a virgin, himself by himself uniting <coughs> to God, with interesting grammar, I think, himself by himself. So his doing of his own sacrifice, at least that would be the way I would catch it. And having suffered under Pontius Pilate and risen and having been received up into splendor is to come in glory as the savior of those who are saved and the judge of those who are judged and will send into eternal fire those who alter the truth and despise his father and his coming. So again, um, Irenaeus doesn't seem to be hesitant about going after the Gnostics. He, he, uh, I think we would say he speaks his opinion pretty clearly as to their future. Oh, the, and in the previous one, I guess we would say that paragraph or that verse was not fully Trinitarian. God the Father, Jesus the Son showed up, but not the Spirit. But we go to another section. This one in book four, uh, it certainly comes back to the the Trinitarian theme. For to him all things are consistent. He has a full faith in one God Almighty of whom are all things. And in the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom are all things. And in the dispensations connected with him by means of which the Son of God became man. 
and a firm belief in the Spirit of God who furnishes us with a knowledge of the truth and has set forth the dispensations of the Father and the Son in virtue of which he dwells with every generation of man according to the will of the Father. It's nice what you can do on the computer. If it doesn't fit, you just squeeze it. Um, from book five, um, again, it just sort of looked through the words that I've underlined, uh, this same, so for the whole world, the tradition from the apostles, the faith of all is one and the same one and the same God, the incarnation of the Son of God, the same gift of the Spirit, uh, <laughs> expecting the same advent, the return of the Lord, and await the same salvation. So Irenaeus was very strong on one truth, that, that there was not geographically, there was not theologically, multiple beliefs for the church preaches the truth everywhere same same doctrine and in some ways after being a little apologetic for what we went through a couple of weeks ago in the gospel of Thomas which was just in some parts really weird this for me is so much more comfortable here is a person that valued at the highest level scripture and he seems to have uh, viewed New Testament scripture in much the same list that we did. That, that, uh, and that was what he preached from and that was what he, he taught from. After seeing this repeated over and over I guess it's no surprise that he chose to take on the guy in Rome about creating a big deal about what day he celebrated that, that doesn't that seems to be way down the list it's, it's not in the it's not in the list of the rule of faith the rule of truth <laughs> which date yeah you, you celebrate Easter well we've run out of time. Oh, yes. Right. What? Well, I guess my question following up on that, you, you had this guy, the Bishop of Rome, who was talking about excommunicating the people out in the East. Uh, on what authority, I mean, did he have by that time some other authority to do that? Or was it just going to be, we won't, we won't talk to him anymore? Why did someone in France, I mean, would he have been bound to follow that? Or couldn't Arrhenius just as said, well, you can excommunicate him, but we're not going to. Was there some structure forming at that point? I guess the big answer for me to that question is we really don't know how much structure there was. Certainly, Irenaeus thought he didn't need to follow that instruction. That, that he thought 
what date you celebrated Easter didn't matter. It certainly was not an issue to be excommunicated over. And in that respect, he didn't think the, that Victor, who was the Bishop of Rome at that time, had the authority either over his home church in Smyrna or over himself in Lyon. Jerry has a handout of text for next week. Diagnetus, and it's an apology quite different from this one because he attacks paganism and Judaism in this and defends Christianity in light of those two outside forces. So I have copies and then we'll see, send out an email to Bruce with copies on the email. Thank you.